everyone, welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, Year 2, where this year we're reading through and studying the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time. Thanks again for joining us in discovering God's plan and your part in it. How often have you forgotten something that Jesus has done in your life? I think today we're going to look at a couple stories where you can see um, some pretty foolish, simple mistakes. I think the disciples seem like they should know better, but they are confused and they're not prepared. Uh, and I think we can fall into the same boat. So today we're looking at Mark chapter eight. And here in Mark chapter eight, we start out seeing that Jesus is going to feed 4,000 people the same way that he fed 5,000 people in Mark six. Uh, and then the disciples are going to be confused because they don't have enough bread. It seems odd. Uh, and then there's a couple other situations where he's going to heal a blind man. There's just a lot going on here. Uh, I'm interested to jump into this conversation today. Well, and I think there's some pieces, too, that it's showing who Jesus is really clearly, but people are still not understanding. But when they finally do, Jesus reminds them again and again that they need to just like keep it to themselves. So he's still kind of hiding this identity because the disciples finally come around to to who he is. Peter actually confesses that Jesus is the Christ towards the end of the chapter. And at the end of that little section, Jesus is still telling him, like, don't tell anybody about this. So he's like shedding away who he is more and more. People are starting to catch on, but he's still trying to keep it under wraps. Yeah, it does seem, it seems like, I mean, at least what different commentators think is that he's trying to keep the crowds smaller and trying to keep like just the spectators away. Um, it's, it's definitely odd that he has no problem feeding thousands of people miraculously, but when he heals a blind man, it's like, Oh, don't tell anyone. It's like, well, do you think nobody noticed the thousands of people you just fed bread to? Or I don't, I don't know. It's strange. It's definitely strange. And I know there's like, there's explanations for it. But it just still seems odd to me. So just to clear up exactly what's going on here, uh, right at the beginning in Mark chapter 8, we have we have literally the same scenario that happened. Uh, you can look in Mark 6 verse 30, where Jesus is speaking to a crowd. They're obviously hungry. There's nowhere to go for food. And so they just split up what little bit they have in this case. Again, some loaves and some fish. And Jesus miraculously feeds everybody. The interesting thing is that it seems like it might be the same crowd. So it's this group of people that have been fed by him. And now they're like following him to wherever he's teaching, expecting to be fed by him again. This is kind of tricky because it seems like some of them might be following him around just to be able to see what he can do. Mm -hmm. And even worse than that, some of them might just be following him around because it's like a, a good a way show. to get breakfast. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, it's a show, but also it's like, well, it's really beneficial. Like, I don't have to buy my own bread. I can just follow Jesus around. Um, what's really funny, like the, I guess, the play on words or like the irony of the situation. If you finish out the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000 in verse 10, uh, it says, immediately they got into the boat with the disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. I do not claim to say that correctly. Mm -hmm. um, the Pharisees find him and demand a miraculous sign. Mm -hmm. Like verse 11 says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. I can see him sighing in his spirit being like, did you not just see what I just did? Mm -hmm. Like, have you mm -hmm. not? Seriously? But I, I think it's funny 
because people do fall into this kind of action too, where it's like, okay, like I've seen Jesus do this. I've seen Jesus do that. I'll think about believing in him if he could just do one more thing. Mm -hmm. And even more than that, I'll commit my life to him. I'll obey his commandments. I'll believe what he tells me to believe and act the way he tells me to act. If I could just see him do one more thing. And I think, you know, if we start to think that way, we're in a pretty dangerous place where you're treating God like a vending machine. It just seems odd. Well, and then the next, the next section too, he is basically warning the disciples about the Pharisees and how I would guess as it's coming right after that little section, like, Hey, be careful of them because what they're demanding is it could easily be proved by the things that have happened prior to. And so the disciples, he's like, beware of them. Um, because basically what they're doing, is kind of like spreading out like leaven. Um, and it's, taking over it's interesting because he calls out the pharisees which would have been like the spiritual leaders of the day and the herodians who would have been like the political political. leaders of the day so they both represent like this kind of alluring power that's wrong so you you have the pharisees literally demanding a miracle to see if he is who he says he is when he's been doing miracle after miracle after miracle they just don't want to believe and the herodians like they would have been like the local regional political authority. And he's saying that like, Hey, what they're teaching too is not great because I'm guessing what they're teaching is like this weird blend of um, like what they had to teach to keep their political authority. And like this weird Pharisees, oftentimes the Pharisees in scripture are represented um, with these Herodians. So there's some kind of like alliance going on here, but he's telling them like, Hey, be, beware of what they're teaching because that little bit of leaven affects everything. And the disciples totally missed the point, which is they hilarious. Think he's actually talking about actual bread and you can kind of see Jesus like, Oh, really? Do you not understand? Like, I just told you this because I want you to be aware of things outside of physical food. You know, they've been keeping a pretty tight schedule. They've been really busy guys. <laughs> It is kind of funny to imagine that they've just like Jesus just fed all these people mm-hmm. miraculously and they're like looking around the boat like, shoot, did you did you bring the bread or. Ah. So, yeah, it's like they're a little dense at this point, but they do come around because they do start understanding who Jesus is. I think they might be connecting the dots maybe along the way yeah. throughout the rest of the chapter. Yeah. And it's like, oh, OK, that's what he meant earlier. I wonder if they ever like kicked themselves like, oh, my word, did you hear what I asked him? I think they probably did, <laughs> especially when they were writing down the Gospels like, oh, that's what he meant. Please keep that part out. <laughs> um, OK, so you were kind of interested in this blind man story. Can you tell us why you thought this was well, interesting? We've heard this story before, but it's this one specific line in verse 24, where after Jesus asks him, after he's laid his hands on him, do you see anything? He says, um, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Um, Jesus lays his hands on him again and his sight was restored. But it's just odd that that is the comment that's made. However, our our study Bibles mention that this could be seen as similar to the disciples' lack of understanding. So I don't know. This is, what it is a story that I've heard highlighted before because it's there's not many instances of Jesus doing like a not effective healing. So yeah. like if if you think about what's going on here... Essentially, like, the first round was, like, half effective, mm-hmm. and he had to try it again. <laughs> so the question is, well, why did he have to try it again? 
And I, I have heard like compelling reasons. Is there I'm like not... a faith issue? One of the compelling issues I've heard is that if you notice, he did not come to Jesus. He mm. was brought to mm-hmm. Jesus. And so I've heard somebody teach that like, well, he wasn't coming because he had faith. He's not like the the woman who had been bleeding for years who like snuck up on Jesus to be healed. What about the guy who was sent down right. through the ceiling? Right. So it, there is like issues with that. Um, and so, so what I've heard is that he's not totally sure what Jesus is up to. But when Jesus like half heals him, he's like, oh, my goodness, this guy could heal me. And then he believes and then he's healed. I don't know. The text doesn't explicitly teach that. Yeah. So you are kind of reading that out. Um, in the very simplest form, the guy comes to Jesus. Jesus heals him. The The part about him thinking people are trees is kind of odd. But we don't know how long he's been blind. Maybe he's been blind from birth. Um, I guess the odd thing about that would be like, well, if he didn't know what people looks like, well, how does he know what trees look like? So I'd love to hear from you guys. Like if you have a thought on what's going on here, uh, leave us a comment, send us an email, tell us what you think. Uh, because like I said, I've, I've heard some really interesting thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, we have another instance of Jesus coming and healing someone. And what's really interesting about what Mark is doing, remember he's talking about authority and power. He puts this story right after the Pharisees are demanding a sign. So Mm -hmm. the structure of Mark 8 is Jesus feeds 4,000. The Pharisees demand a miracle. Jesus does a miracle. Like Mm -hmm. miracle, questioning, miracle. And then um, Peter is going to make a proclamation of faith that's very direct. So the actual structure of chapter 8 is really interesting in that you kind of have this miracle and the Pharisees are like, eh, I don't know. And then you have another miracle and Peter is like, I definitely know. Yeah, he like comes around towards the end. But again, it's always with that little note at the end, don't tell anybody, don't enter this village, don't do this, don't do that. So I wonder how much, I don't know, I guess they would have known because people didn't really listen to that anyway, but I wonder how much Jesus was trying to, like, why was he trying to keep it so secret? I think part of it could just be like, hey, I don't want to attract a lot of attention to myself. Mm -hmm. I don't want to put myself in danger before I'm supposed to. Um, But I think another part of it could be like he knows who's ready to hear it and who isn't ready to hear it. So he doesn't seem to be wasting a lot of time on people who are not prepared to hear the truth. And Mm -hmm. he seems to know, obviously, he would know exactly when people are ready and exactly when they're not. So it seems like it's like, hey, keep it to yourself. Don't make this huge thing like that will come. That will come, and it comes pretty soon, but it seems to be all within his timing. And I can't remember, because uh, I think I'm starting to mix Matthew and Mark together, but the ending of the chapter is about Jesus telling them what's going to happen to him. And this is the first time that he mentions this to them? It's a very explicit statement. Okay, so that being said, I think it's interesting that it, that came after Peter right. is confessing his... Right or confessing that Jesus is who he says he is, because that faith piece, it's always so interesting. The faith piece always comes along with some kind of revelation or healing or miracle. It's interesting that that comes first. This is a special instance of Peter's confession of faith, because remember, Mark's gospel is written based on Peter's verbal accounts. So Peter is explaining to Mark what had happened and how it went, and Mark is writing it down. Mm-hmm. So this is like 
Peter's, what, what do you call that when it's like a biography written by somebody else? Autobiography. Is that an autobiography? Do I sound really dumb right now? Probably. That's okay. <laughs> um, that's, that's what's going on here. So Peter makes this proclamation of faith. It is important uh, because it's at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, in Matthew 16, we see him say the gates of hell will never um, prevail against the kingdom of God, essentially. Um, Jesus takes his disciples to this like very terrible place, this very like place full of idolatry, a very unclean place to proclaim to them who he is and what the mission of the church is. So Matthew 16 gives us a little bit more uh, depth to that whole scene. And if you want to go check out the episode that we did on Matthew 16, it would help kind of flesh out this picture of what's going on. It'd be a biography. Is it? You're right. Is autobiography is when you yourself. write about your own life. Autograph, autobiography. Guys, we're not uh, biography experts. It's fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, that it would be worth checking out that episode on Matthew 16 because there's a lot going on here. The the scene and the setting is super important, and this profession of faith from Peter is super important, and it's a it's a pretty cool thing. So then Jesus is at the end giving them more context for what is to come. Mm-hmm. So what's a helpful your part for what we've gone through today? I feel like there's probably something that would go along with like faith, faith being a necessary part of Jesus revealing himself to us. Like, yeah, I think sometimes we get it with like, we think we get it with feelings or things that are like, oh, that feels there. That feels right. Or that sounds right. But like actual faith in what Jesus has done. I think you can definitely make a case that Jesus is continuing to show his power and he's giving people time to process it and understand it and come to a place where they make a decision. I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. And I think Peter in this chapter is like the ultimate decision where it's like, yeah, I know who you are. You're the Christ. Like, period. Boom. It's you. And he's not confused and he's ready to admit it. Um, I think, you know, some of the other disciples, maybe it took them more time. Um, you know, obviously faith is really important and then living out that faith is even more important, which I think is like the last little part of this chapter. If you look at verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mm -hmm. For what can a man give in return for his soul, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father. So I think a, a really clear your part is you have to live a life that honors Jesus. And in this world, like finding success in this world is like doing everything you can to be successful and that all passes away. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be willing to be living lives that are aligned with God and what God commands that puts us in strange situations sometimes that may put us in scenarios where it seems like we are losing our lives and losing our reputation. But in fact, we are preserving it and finding it and honoring Christ in it. So I think that part is super important today uh, because it just it just feels like culture is kind of in that Romans 1 world where like God has let go of the rope and culture is sliding backwards fast. You're going to feel more and more and more like you are losing your life to honor Christ um, so that 
you can save it, if that makes sense. So I think that would be the challenge for today. Uh, obviously, it's not just a challenge today. It's a challenge for all the days to come. But make sure you are honoring Christ with your life and you're not just giving him lip service. You're actually backing it up. So we'll be back again tomorrow with Mark 9. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. As always, please consider partnering with us as we are a listener-supported podcast that we hope to continue to grow with support from listeners just like you. We've made it super easy to partner with us, and you can support us by following the link in our show notes or our description. You can support us with as little as $3 a month. Every little bit of this helps so much, and we're so thankful for your support. With that in mind, here's today's reading. Mark. Chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed them to sit the crowd down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that they should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about four thousand people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and went to the district of Dalmathana. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. Don't forget, you can find us on just about every social media platform and YouTube. Let us know what you thought of today's episode, and if you have any questions, go ahead and post them there. You can also reach out to us directly at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. As always, if you don't have a Bible, or if you'd like to use the one that we use, uh, reach out to us via email, and we'll be happy to send one to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.